As indicated by writer Neil Irwin, there are two completely opposite ways of looking at the performance of America's labor market. On the one hand, unemployment is 6%, which translates into 9.7 million Americans who say that they presently don't have a job, but that they are actively looking for work. The implication is that employers should be having a pretty easy time attracting workers right now. At the same time, there are many articles that mention the words labor shortage and many employers who indicate that they face a potentially catastrophic inability to hire. As indicated by Irwin, these anecdotes emerge from employers located across the nation. How does one explain this disconnect? Some business leaders have been quick to blame expanded unemployment insurance and pandemic stimulus payments for the labor and skills shortages. Their logic is simple. Many workers have decided that it makes more sense to collect a $300 weekly federal supplement to unemployment insurance benefits than work or fire up their Uber or Lyft app. Research by Ioana Marinescu and two other economists found that every 10% increase in unemployment benefits translates into a 3% decline in job applications. But other economists are skeptical of such theories. After all, the economy managed to create more than 900,000 jobs on net last month. For WYPR and my producer Luke Spicknall, I'm Aniban Basu. The U.S. budget deficit expanded to a record $1.7 trillion during the first half of the current federal fiscal year. As indicated by writer John McCormick, this occurred in large measure due to a third round of stimulus that sent federal spending soaring last month. The federal government's budget deficit is more than double what it was for the same period a year ago, according to the U.S. Treasury Department. In March of this year, the deficit totaled $660 billion, which was more than 450% greater than during the same month a year ago. The economy has improved since this time a year ago, which has translated into more economic activity and bolstered federal tax collections. Federal government revenues rose 13% last month to nearly $270 billion, but spending increased more than 160% to $927 billion. That was the third highest monthly total on record after June and April of last year. Some economists have become alarmed by these massive deficits, indicating that we're becoming dangerously numb to the trillions in debt that are piling up. Others say that the magnitude of economic challenges caused by the pandemic have warranted this level of spending. For WYPR and my producer Luke Spicknall, I'm Aniban Basu. According to the nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office, the federal government's publicly held debt is projected to hit 102% of the nation's gross domestic product this year. If that projection comes true, and it seems likely, it will be the highest debt-to-gross domestic product ratio since 1946. As indicated by writer Joe Craven McGinty, about a third of that debt is presently held abroad in nations like China, Japan, and the United Kingdom. Investors around the world continue to willingly purchase the Treasury bills, notes, and bonds that finance America's massive deficits, helping to keep interest rates low in the process. The accumulated national debt is equivalent to the annual deficits that America has generated over time. This year, the annual federal deficit is expected to reach $2.3 trillion, or more than 10% of gross domestic product. That will represent the second largest shortfall since 1945, behind last year's record-high federal budget deficit of $3.1 trillion, which translated into nearly 15% of national output. Traditionally, such eye-popping ratios would trigger fears of runaway inflation and the potential for government to respond by raising taxes and or cutting spending. But right now, financial markets seem to be taking such ratios in stride.
for WYPR and my producer Luke Spicknall, I'm Aniban Basu. While it is absolutely true that the pandemic has produced jarring effects on the U.S. economy, America has fared better than much of the world. Many nations suffered much larger losses in economic output last year, including the United Kingdom, Spain, France, Mexico, and Canada. Another nation hammered by the pandemic is India. According to the Pew Research Center, about 32 million Indians were driven out of the middle class and into poverty by the pandemic last year. That accounted for a majority of the 54 million people who slipped out of the middle class worldwide. Over the course of about a year, the pandemic has undone decades of progress in a nation that had managed to bring hundreds of millions of people out of poverty. In recent weeks, another spike in infections has waylaid India, resulting in the return of lockdowns in certain Indian states. India's middle class is not as wealthy as its peers in America and elsewhere, but it had become an increasingly potent economic force. Pew Research defines middle class and upper middle class Indian households as living on about $10 to $50 per day. That kind of income can supply an Indian family with an apartment in a pleasant neighborhood, a car, and the opportunity to send children to a private school. For WYPR and my producer Luke Spicknall, I'm Aniban Basu. A recent Economist magazine article is simply entitled, America's Inflation Spike Begins. Between economists, there is little disagreement about whether or not inflation has been on the rise recently. It has been. A year ago, the story was precisely the opposite. During the spring of 2020, America's consumer prices declined for three consecutive months as the pandemic ravaged the economy. Apartment rents collapsed, hotel rooms went empty, and for a brief period, oil prices went negative. But over much of the past year, the U.S. economy has generally been in strong recovery mode. Higher demand has met with depleted inventories, and the result has been more pervasive price increases. In March, consumer prices were 2.6% higher than a year earlier. The increase in headline inflation registered that month was the biggest since November of 2009, when the U.S. economy was recovering from the global financial crisis. In March alone, prices rose by 0.6% compared with the previous month. That's the fastest pace since 2012. True, much of that was driven by a large increase in petrol prices, but even the core consumer price index, which strips out food and energy prices, was up 0.3%, which translates into an annual rate of inflation of around 4%. For WYPR and my producer Luke Spicknall, I'm Aniban Basu.